independent production. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Act 1 of Romeo and Juliet, the sitcom. I am your director, Landon Bell, and I am joined by... Assistant Director, Sven Halverson. And kicking us off here, we've got our two chorus singers, uh, played by Finn MK and M. Sierra Garcia. And uh, they are singing our very sitcom-y theme song. <laughs> because Landon wanted to kill himself. No. <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to kill myself, and it wasn't fun. Um, no, <laughs> no, um, yeah, we spent a solid six months working on this song. Um, and I probably could spend another six if I just let myself, um, because, yeah, I, I could have kept tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it, but at a certain point, you just have to let it go and let it be itself. And Juliet. Act one. Two households, both alike in dignity. And we have the same two people with the prologue. Yes, uh, the prologue. The uh, the prologue in the script is actually performed by uh, a chorus, but we don't have ten or twenty people that we can get to say it out loud. So it's a whole lot easier just to have two people contrasting it back and forth. And uh, what, what I tried to do with the casting was make the chorus sort of a contrast to Romeo and Juliet. So that's why we have uh, one male performing it and one female performing it. And uh, Finn and M uh, both sound very well together. They, uh, they're very excellent at this. Mm-hmm. And we have the first clapping. Oh, uh, yes. The first sign of the studio audience to come. <laughs> Trust me, people. We've got laugh tracks. We've got clapping. And we've Sam got and squirts all. her water gun at Gregory, the audience, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> yes, oh, yes. Man, this is Sam, uh, played by M. Sierra Garcia. Anna Rodriguez. Excuse me. Excuse me. Anna Rodriguez. Sorry, Anna. I had M on the brain, and so it just came out. Uh, yes, Anna Rodriguez is Sam. And uh, we also have Kyle Garrett as Gregory. Almost said Kyle Gregory. Um, <laughs> and uh, these two are uh, from the house of Capulet, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And I mixed this scene, and it's pretty much... It, this scene is kind of broken up into three parts, which I kind of mixed in order. But the middle part is the shortest and took the longest to make. It is the awesomest as well. <laughs> well, it's kind of why I chose the scene. <laughs> Trust me, people. Trust me, people. This this may be one of the best scenes ever in this show. And Swin knocked it out of the park. He did an excellent job. Yes, this scene took like 30 tracks on the main project, and then there was like five or six sub-projects with um, like some of the different sound effects or some of the music that I mixed at different volume levels and stuff to 
go along with it. And uh, Swin actually sent me a screenshot of that session file, and I'm going to be posting that on the uh, Wild Bill Twitter account after this episode comes out. Uh, and it's it is a marvel to behold. Draw thy tool. Here comes two of the house. And here in the background, we have a couple people walking up. They are from the. Which house are they from? The House of Montague. The House of Montague. And there wasn't dialogue for when they were walking up, so I grabbed some from one of them, auditioned for Romeo, and I grabbed some of that to put in the background. And the other one actually doesn't ever say anything in the scene, but he's supposed to be there. And But he was in our last play. And I grabbed some of that audio and put that in there. Nice, nice. It's kind of obscure. It's kind of obscured to where you can't hear what they're saying. But uh, I thought it would add a little bit of ambiance and realism to the scene. So uh, before we uh, get too far ahead, this is uh, Walter Mack as Abraham. I do not bite my thumb at you, sir. Who is indeed a Montague. And uh, before this big, yes, yes, Uh, before this big brawl breaks out, let me just uh, preface this because I mean, I'm presuming you've already listened to the episode, but uh, in the original, this is a big bloody fight, and that that just won't do in a sitcom. So uh, we have a big water gun fight, and. This thing is so fun, and I actually got to foley this uh, this scene with uh, my brother and sister, and it was just tons of fun. Uh, it, it's one of the best things I've ever done for audio drama. Yeah, it was super fun to mix as well. I got all of his splatterings of water balloons and shooting water guns and put those together. And then also there was one sound effect or something from the... Our sound effects place uh, that was called blood splattering <laughs> that I used. Let me just point out, I took a water gun to the face for you people. Okay, all right. I hate the word. It shows up a little bit, but you can't hardly hear it over all the other commotion. <laughs> I actually need to put some of my outtakes for that in the blooper reel. It sounds totally ridiculous. <laughs> and in the background, we have. Music by Jonathan Colton, and I wanted something that was actiony and metal, just to give the chaos to the scene and bring it up to where it gives you like an adrenaline rush when you're listening to it, kind of. Yeah, I've always wanted to use Jonathan Colton's music on the show because uh, hey, world to free music. Uh, but uh, we just never really had the right play for it until this one. And uh, so he just became a perfect fit. Um, all of his uh, very geeky music. <laughs> and we've skipped over like five actors. Yeah. Uh, Interjections, but they come in so fast in this scene. Let me back up just a little bit. Uh, we, we had Chris Dickey as Tybalt. And uh, we had Melissa Bartel as the first citizen who... Uh, she actually... She took her line, and there's a uh, script cue underneath the line. And so she read it as part of her line. And uh, so it's actually a, a reference and a uh, quote from the movie UHF. <laughs> and uh, it, it worked so perfectly that uh, Swin went ahead and used it in the scene. On pain of torture. 
Well, those I mean, bloody hands throw your mistempered weapons. There was also a little bit of battling that she did do. That, that too, yes, yes. Um, Three civil who else do we have? We also had Randy Strew as Capulet, uh, Rachel Wallace as Lady Capulet, uh, Russell Gold as Montague, Marty Brangle as Lady Montague, and Paul Bergman here as Prince Escalus. Didn't we have Andrew Hackley as... Um, Ah, yes, we did. We did. But he shows up here in just a second, so I, uh... Yeah. <laughs> I was going to reintroduce him. And the prince, I really like his delivery of being fed up with everybody. Yeah, the prince does a really good job of, uh... Or, or Paul, excuse me. Paul does a really good job of, uh... Making the prince very stoic and uh, serious, in contrast to the two families who are just feuding and brawling and speak, nephew, for no reason. Will you buy when it began? Here were the servants of your adversary. So that was one of the most fun scenes, or parts of the scene to direct that I've done so far, and also one of the hardest. <laughs> Yay for difficulty! <laughs> uh. Here we have, uh, as uh, Swim was mentioning, uh, Andrew Hackley as Benvolio. And I, I kind of like to call Benvolio Mercutio Light. Uh, because he has, those same, he has that same kind of quippy nature to him. Um, but he's not from the same family as Mercutio. He's uh, from Romeo's family. Madam, an hour before the worshipped sun peered forth, and I really liked Andrew Hackley's all of his takes. Like, all of them could work. And, like, 99% of them are, like, full takes. Like, no messed up in the take. Yeah, Andrew is very good with his lines about being able to convey the dialogue uh, to the audience without without um, drifting a lot. Um, he's very good with staying on point and uh, conveying the emotion and the point of the, uh, the dialogue. Um, I do want to mention uh, here we had uh, Marty Brangle and uh, Russell Gold as the Montagues, and uh, these these two roles—they're not very large roles. They're they're actually very small roles. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that the people we cast in those two roles were memorable because, hey, you know they're. They're the patriarch and matriarchs of these two families. Uh, so I think that uh, Russell and uh, Marty do a really good job of uh, uh, sounding like a couple. <laughs> and in the background, we have Re Your Brains by Jonathan Colton, which sounds a lot different as an instrumental. <laughs> it definitely sounds less geeky. There's more new, but you'll get a chance to hear the more full version in uh, scene three. See where he comes. So please, you step aside. I actually love that touch in scene three. That's 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 one of my favorite things in the script. <laughs> yes, scene three. We're coming up on. Come, madam. That's a wife. Landon ruined my favorite. 
<laughs> Why I chose to sleep? Tomorrow, cousin. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and we have Romeo coming in, and uh, you plays Romeo. Yes, we do. Uh, Eric Valdez is Romeo. Sorry, I was fixating on scene three. <laughs> and he's bringing the perfect mix of lovesick horse voice. Yeah, he. Eric does a really good job of conveying that lovesick attitude of Romeo's. Uh, we got so many different. As well as uh, being in love part too later on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's just as important. <laughs> we got we got so many auditions that uh, that did different things with it, but there was just something about Eric's that was so on point with with conveying the love sickness and then the genuine love and then the, the frustration and angry and, and and it was just perfect. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Swin and I both chose Eric as our first pick for the uh, the role. So yeah. Of lead, Same thing with uh, Olivia Steele for uh, Juliet, if I'm not mistaken. Sleep, that is not what it is. So, this love feel great minds think alike, people. <laughs> oh, dost thou not laugh? No, cause I rather weep. <laughs> Good heart at what? At thy heart's oppression. And just to note on the laugh track, I used like three tracks for the laugh track, just because sometimes I want to mix in different laughs together, and sometimes there's part of one laugh that you want to use, and another part that just doesn't work. <laughs> Plus, you want all the laughs to sound kind of like they're coming from the same audience. A sea nourished with lovers At least a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the fun things about uh, using uh, using pre-recorded laugh tracks is that uh, you, you have to kind of get choosy with it because you know I don't have a hundred people in a room that I can just record. So I have lost myself. I am not here. This is not. I could probably get a hundred people in a room to record though. I didn't think of that. Who is that you love? What, and we I had ruined everything the... in the background by Jonathan Fulton. Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin everything. But sadly, tell me. That's in scene three. No. <laughs> okay, he didn't ruin it, but he ruined my take on it. It'll make more sense when we get to that scene and we can explain. I do love a woman. <laughs> that line cracked me up. Uh, it's really good because that line uh, was not really meant to be funny in the script, but he does such a good job making it funny. Yeah, I remember. I had I did. I'm spaced those out differently like several times just to get that to land right. Yeah, comedic timing. Comedic timing is very tough. And explain to me why TMI is in a Shakespeare play. <laughs> so, uh, because this is more of just a adaptation and not just a straight version, um, I had more leeway to add extra dialogue and stuff. So, there's there's a few of those little lines, like there's the, the TMI there. Um, 
I liked the idea of Benvolio commenting on Romeo's deeply passionate speech and just saying, you know, too much information, dude. But you got to be careful because you can't. You can't say too much because if you make it sound too modern, then it breaks with the style and the flow. And dead that live to tell it now. So it would be interesting to like do a modern adaptation, but that would be a whole lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a whole lot of work. I know how much work this was. By giving liberty unto thine eyes, examine other beauties. Tis the way to call hers exquisite. In question more. These happy masks that kiss fair ladies' brows being black put us in mind they hide the fair. He that is stricken blind cannot forget the precious treasure of his eyesight lost. Show me a mystery. Oh, now we've reached the point fair. where we're just listening what to the actors. Serve, but as a note <laughs> where I may read who passed that passing fair. Farewell. Well, I like how, um, thou canst not teach me to forget. What's his name? Just says, I'll pay that doctor. Oh, just, or else just look at other woman. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, there's plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> yeah, that's more of the stuff I was talking about where uh, Benvolio's kind of a Mercutio light. He's just like, yeah, just, just find somebody else. Get over her. <laughs> but Montague is bound as well as... And we have scene two, directed no by Landon Bell. Yes, yes, my first scene in this uh, wonderful little play. Uh, once again, we have Russell Gold as Capulet, and we have Christopher Gilstrap as Paris, who... Let me just be straight up with you. Paris is one of those characters who works in the original and does not work when you bring this play closer to the modern day. Uh, because he comes off as a creep. <laughs> a total creep. And so I told Christopher, I was like, like I, he needs to sound a little bit like a creep. And I think he does a really good job of uh, conveying that without just making him too smarmy. Although there's a few scenes later on where he is just totally smarmy. Uh, and uh, here in the tavern, uh, th this is a tavern. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we have uh, hopefully you can tell that yeah uh, yeah we have uh, people and drinks in the background we have some billiards um, and we also have that uh, audience reaction to that creepy line of Paris's <laughs> and we have Randy Strew as uh, Montague uh, Capulet Capulet Though in reckoning none, come go with me. Did I say Russell Gold earlier? I may have. See, that's that's how excited I am about this. Go, Sura. This is Randy Schwab. <laughs> he could have worked say, in that role as well. He could have. As a matter of fact, we uh, we debated for a while uh, which one of them to cast in the roles. Um, but we settled on uh, Randy Strew for Capulet because. Uh, Juliet's a little bit younger than Romeo, a couple years. Find them out, and uh, names also, he fit better with uh, Rochelle, or Rochelle, excuse me, Rachel's it performance. <laughs> that the shoemaker should meddle with his yard. And, and we have oh, our yeah. first celebrity impression. That we do. 
this is Eric Valdez as the first servant. Uh, same guy playing our Romeo. And he's doing a near pitch perfect. <laughs> he does. He does. He, he's doing a near pitch perfect Gilbert Gottfried impression. And I love it so much. <laughs> This character, when I was originally reading the script, I don't know why, but this character just spoke to me as, this is Gilbert Gottfried. He's the, you know, the guy that people were telling him what to do, and, and maybe it's the character of Iago from uh, Aladdin that reminded me of that. But uh, it, it works very well, that impression. And uh, for uh, folks wondering why impressions, um, it's kind of a callback to things that sitcoms used to do in the 80s and 90s where they would have um, a guest star who was like a like a real star. And they would bring this person in for one episode or something and then they'd be gone. They'd never come back. Whipped and tormented. Good evening, good fellow. God give you good evening. I like how Romeo just okay. transitions from being so. Can you read? I I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. That uh that okay from uh, Eric was uh, actually not in the script. He just added that. I if I know the letters and the language. If you didn't know though, you he almost know sounded that. a little bit uh, Irish there. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Oh, I, if you know the letters in the language, <laughs> that was terrible Irish. Martino and his wife and daughters, County and his beauteous sister. But yeah, if uh, if someone didn't know, I don't think that they would realize that this is the same person playing these characters. He does a very good job playing off of himself. His wife and daughters, my fair niece Rosaline and Livia. Senor Valencio and his cousin Tybalt. And kudos to Eric for reading these names because some of them are so Fair weird assembly. to pronounce. Whither should they come? Up! <laughs> Whither? And what music do we have in the background? Whose house? We have. That is a very good question. Indeed, I should have asked you that before. We have no, 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 tell you Soft Rocked by Me. My master is the great rich Capulet. And if you be not of the house of Montague, I pray, come and crush a cup of wine. Rest you merry. So, of course, somebody of the house of Capulet just takes the invitation and goes. Oh, excuse me. We, uh, we pushed beyond soft rock by me. Uh, we're on A Millionaire Girlfriend by Jonathan Colton. With all the admired beauties of You kind of picked out some like themes for the different people right right uh this song is actually uh kind of romeo's theme um and i will make it kind of plays into the fact that he's longing for longing for love longing for somebody and uh that's a little bit what this song is about albeit in a slightly jonathan colton way <laughs> it's a weird song. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so that was helpful when mixing to follow that a little bit where it makes sense. Juliet's theme. Uh, I don't know that it appears in this act, but uh, her theme is called uh, Drinking With You by Jonathan Colton. She 
shall scan to show so, well that now shows best. I'll go along. And it plays no into uh, shown, but similar uh, of emotions mind. that she feels. Uh, she's looking for somebody, but she's not looking for somebody like Paris. No, she looks, she's the looking for... Theme, but not Juliet's theme in scene three. So. Yeah. And we have scene three, which I directed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, this scene. This scene. And we have um, Rachel Heiger. Or, or Rochelle. Uh, or, excuse me. Why do I keep saying Rochelle? Uh, Rachel Wallace. As, uh, okay, she used play. to be Heiger, I think. Call her forth to me. Now, and she was playing the guitar. Romeo's theme, but... Uh, <laughs> Yes, Rachel changed her uh, last name from uh, Rimke, so mm-hmm. have to get used to that every and once in a while. And we have <laughs> the part of the scene that I picked out because I wanted it to transition to Juliet's point of view in the headphones. So you would have heard the headphones loud, the music loud in your headphones, like you were. Seeing from Juliet's point of view. Which was a really now, cool thing when he told me about it. I have to admit. I have remembered so why did I have to change that? <laughs> well, mainly uh, because the play is from the perspective of like a camera. A camera that is uh, collecting the sitcom on film, or in our case, audio. And then the audience is in the back. It's behind the camera. And so changing perspectives just didn't quite fit that mold. But I was telling Swin, though, I was like, that's some smart thinking there. You need to save that for something. Susan and she, God rest all Christian souls, were of an age. Well, Susan is with God. She was. And actually, um, but as I said, I might, I might actually try and put that like on the, the blooper reel or something, so that people can listen to it. Because, uh, like, like you could hear Julia removing her headphones and laying them on her neck and everything. It was really awesome, the way that he did it. Well, I hadn't gone quite that far, but if it sounded like that, then great. <laughs> it sounded like that to me, so, to be honest. I did kind of have it sound, try to have it sound like she was taking one headphone off first and then the other one. Okay, okay. Uh, filter everything to make it sound right. So, uh, before, before we get too far ahead, because um, I, I'm prone to ramble here, uh, just like the nurse, um, we have yes. Hannah Jane Condell as the nurse. Who, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, this, when I listened to Hannah's audition, I, I just thought, yeah, this is the nurse. She was very good about the rambliness of her character and the, the, like the hidden comedy of her character where she, where she just says stuff, doesn't realize it's funny, but it is. And it's it, brilliant, brilliant performance all around. She's like that aunt that you have that won't stop talking. Yes. Yes. Very much. And we didn't introduce, introduce Juliet. Oh, we didn't. Um, I introduced her a little bit earlier, but uh, yes, Olivia Steele as Juliet, who, uh, as we said before, uh, I listened to Olivia's audition and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is Juliet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Hi. <laughs> she did a very good job of making her sound young, but not just naive. And, and I think that's something that uh, is very easy to do with a younger character. Um, because in our version, she's... Good audio sound. Yeah. Um, in our version, she's 18. Um, and so obviously, an 18-year-old is not stupid. They're not totally naive. And uh, she does a very good job of conveying that, hey, this character is her own person. God, mark me to his grace! <laughs> she laughed there, and it wasn't quite in the script, but I just had to put it in there. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And I might live to see thee married once I have my She's also rambling, telling this whole story about her daughter. Mary is the very theme I came to talk of. This was the first scene I mixed for the play. How stands your disposition to be made? It was a lot it is easier to mix than the first scene in the play. I, the only nurse, <laughs> I would say thou hast stuck wisdom from thy teeth. <laughs> well, that line. marriage now. Younger than you here in Verona, ladies of esteem are made already mothers. By my count, I was your mother. Okay, so that line right there, that line right there from Lady Capulet is yet another reason why this had to be a sitcom. Because if you do this in like the 80s or something, and you've got a parent who's like, younger than she are happy mothers made, or whatever she said. That may have been Paris's line, but she says basically the same thing. Uh, I'm just thinking, that's creepy. <laughs> that's creepy. What say you? Can you love the gentleman? Trying to marry off your kids before they're eighteen. Read over the volume of young Paris's face. And we chose Rachel and uh, Olivia and Randy Strew as the Capulets. Or are they Montag? I get uh, Capulets, yes. <laughs> Capulets. Juliet kind of sounded similar. Juliet and her family are the Capulets. And Romeo and his family are the Montagues. The fish lives in the sea. And tis much pride for fair without the fair within time. Hey, I don't, I'm not familiar with Shakespeare, really. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's actually not all that important that you keep up with the names. Um, it's a whole lot easier to keep up with the actors in these scenes. And, uh, again, that, that's uh, some of the reasons why I cast some of these actors as these characters. Like, it's, it's easier to keep up and realize, hey, you know, Hannah, that she, she's playing the nurse. I remember that character. And it's it's easy to hear Rachel and Olivia and say, hey, you know, they're playing Lady Capulet and Juliet. Or Juliet and her mother, however you can remember that. <laughs> oh, we got our first servant again. My young lady asked for the nurse cursed in the pantry. And everything in extremity. <laughs> I must hence to wait. How can you talk over that? I beseech you. <laughs> you can't. You can't. We follow thee. Juliet, the county stays. We follow thee. Cool, and we'll quit trying to get our daughter to get married before she wants to. Oh, it's like. I still don't understand what these people are saying half the time, but like. <laughs> kind of get 
the feelings. <laughs> that's that's actually so. That's how I mix it together. <laughs> that that that's actually the experience a lot of people have. They they understand Shakespeare based on the feeling. On without an apology. The date is out of such prolixity. Ah. We'll have no and here we have our little troop marching up to Capulet's house, like which I would have or should have listened to, but I didn't actually listen to the episode before this. That's okay, that's okay. Give me a torch. I am not for this ambling. Being but heavy, I will bear the light. Oh, nay, gentle Romeo. And we have M. Sierra Garcia again. Not I, believe This time as Mercutio. Um, I have yes. been trying my hardest to get M. to audition for this show since I joined this show. You're a lover. And she finally <laughs> did. She finally did. And she just totally nailed her audition. Like, like when I heard her Mercutio, I was like, there's no one else. <laughs> I did have another pick at first, but as soon as hers came in, there was just no contest. <laughs> she does such a good job. And M is not the kind of person who is used to Shakespeare. So she just goes through these lines and she ad libs, she adds all kinds of things. And and we can use that in a, a play like this because it's a sitcom. We're, we're not playing hardline with it. We're playing fast and loose. And M, anyone who's ever heard M in any of Pendant's shows knows M is an actress who plays fast and loose with every character she plays. Yeah, and so she's just perfect for Mercutio. If you haven't listened to Henderson and Havner, <laughs> then you're missing some craziness. <laughs> but not the bad kind of craziness. If you like her as Mercutio, uh, then you should listen to Henderson and Havner and Get some more of her craziness. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll be a candle holder and look on. The game was never so Bobby Havner. Oh, Dun's the mouse. The constable's own word. If thou art done, we'll draw thee from the mire of this irreverence. <laughs> Wherein thou stickest up to the ears. Come. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this uh, this song is uh, "I Crush Everything" by Jonathan Colton, which is uh, which is Mercutio's theme in this play. For our judgment sits five times in that air, once in our five wits. And we mean well in going to this mask, but tis no wit to go. Uh, why? May one ask? <laughs> I dreamed a dream tonight. Oh, so did I. Well, what was yours? I'm laughing. The the studio audience isn't laughing. I'm laughing. You'd have to have the studio uh, audience constantly laughing if you wanted to. Yeah, that's that, every one of the jokes. That, that's the thing, because um, I, I don't know how uh, all modern sitcoms do it, but a lot of ones years ago, they would have like a, a sign that would tell the audience when to laugh. <laughs> and so we, we kind of uh, follow that same, that same styling. We have set moments where we want the audience to laugh. The traces of the smallest spider webs. Plus, we don't have like hours of people laughing. <laughs> that too. That too. Film, her wagoner. Hmm. A 
a small gray coated net. So the uh, the Queen so Mab speech is worm, one of the finger. major and famous Shakespeare speeches, which I didn't know until I started working on this play. Uh, but this this speech and then the uh, what light through yonder break speech uh, from act two are probably the two biggest speeches from this play and they're very high up there in the, uh, the shakespeare canon courtier's knees in popularity the dream on curtsy straight or lawyer's fingers whose straight dream on beats or lady's lips whose straight on kisses dream <laughs> which oft the angry Mab with blisters plagues because their breaths with another thing M's are. really good at with uh, <laughs> Mercutio is flipping emotions and then just on a dime out a mm-hmm. sometime she comes with a tithe pig's tail tickling the parson's nose as Eliza sleep then dreams he of another benefice sometime she driveth o'er a soldier's neck, and then dreams he of cutting foreign throats. Love this music. Love this music. <laughs> ambuscados and Spanish blade <laughs> and helps five fathoms Sometimes and then you just no, have to listen to the episode. Drums in his I know. <laughs> at which he starts and wakes. And There's actually not a whole lot to say uh, for this scene other than... That it's pretty much all this about Mercutio. Is that very Mab that plats the manes of horses in the night and bakes elf locks and foolish sluttish hairs? Uh, something I should point out, um, because there may be some Shakespeare diehards who are like, okay, why, you, why, why is Mercutio not a guy? Um, Mercutio is not a guy in our version just because it's not really a this is she. Uh, gender-specific peace, role peace, to begin with. Peace. Like, I mean, it's it's a guy in the original, but True. there's not really any specific indicators in the play. Which are the <laughs> there's probably, like, two or three references in the whole thing to Mercutio as a he. Which is as so it's very, very easy to, uh, to cast him in the role. The wind, who woos even now, and it seems like all of the Shakespeare of the plays have... And being angered, Puffs away 80% from percent guys. <laughs> yeah, most of these plays are majority men, and so uh, it, uh, there's always a few roles that we have to wind up uh, changing. Just because our, our casting pool is literally about 50-50 men and women. Um, so we always try to accommodate everybody and cast as many people as possible. But he that hath the steerage of my course, direct my sail. And let's just be honest, there's some characters, and it, it, it's just cool to get a different perspective on that character. And I think Mercutio is definitely one of them. And we're at the party! Eric is back. <laughs> Away with the joint stools. Remove the court cupboard. Look to the plate. Good thou. How many characters does he do? <laughs> uh, he only does two characters. But, but he could have done more. <laughs> yeah, he, he probably could have. He probably easily could have. Anthony and Potpan! I remember he had a few other impressions too. 
We did. But we don't want to cast one person as too many people in the play. We have Minnie Raskinen as the second servant. Another character that doesn't have a lot of lines, but we needed someone who could go toe-to-toe with uh, Eric. (laughs) And Mindy is definitely someone who can do that. Which of you all will now deny to dance? She that makes dainty, she elsewhere have corns. Am I come near you now? Welcome, gentlemen. So this is a DJ, right? Uh, this is uh, Randy Strew as Capulet. I got his name right that time. gentlemen. DJ, though, DJ's coming right up. You might recognize him. This one's for all you tramps and knaves out there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I play the, the DJ. And quench the fire. The room is this is why I should listen to the episode before recording a commentary. And that line right there is they another one that uh, was not in the original. But I thought it was very apt. And we have music by Livo in the background. We do. Now, uh, the origin of Livo, let me uh, back up to our last play, Anthony and Cleopatra. Swin was directing a scene and he wanted to use uh, some music from Livo in it. And for some reason or another, I think it had to do with uh, the music credits, the way we had it arranged. Um, it was just better to use music that we already had. So I just told him, I said, uh, let's save this for the next play because I, I know exactly what we can use it for. And so here we go. We finally got to use Swin's music. Beauty too rich for use, for earth too dear. So shows a snowy dove trooping with crows as yonder lady or her fellow shows. The measure done, I'll watch her place. It also has a different contrast to Jonathan Colton's work. Make blessed my rude hands. It's very upbeat, very getting the blood pumping. Swear it's sight. For I ne'er saw true beauty till this night. But it's a party. Gotta have DJ music. It is a party. <laughs> Um, so now, if you if you listen there, you heard the uh, the DJ uh, or where he's sitting, anyways, uh, pan around the room a bit, and that's because uh, the camera perspective camera moved. It did. Camera moved to uh, a different section of the the room. To strike him dead. Or did the room move and the camera stayed in the same place? The world may never know. Maybe it's just like those sitcom houses where the all three rooms or whatever are on the same set and the audience can see them all at the same time. Content thee, gentle cuz. Let him alone. He bears him like a portly gentleman, and to say truth, Verona brags of him to be a virtuous and well-governed youth. I tried to be very accurate to this, okay? What can I say? Therefore, be patient. Take no note of him. It is my will, the which if thou... As a matter of fact, I almost uh, diagrammed it on paper before I did it, but uh, I managed to get it right without having to do that. Such a villain as a guest. I'll not endure him. I haven't resorted to diagramming seen on paper yet, but I, say he shall. I might have to at some point. Yeah. Go to some scenes kind of require it. God shall mend my soul. At least you can get by. Among my guests. And most, you you're good without it. You'll be the man. 
Why? Uh, here but I just kind of visualize him in my head. Go to, go to. Yeah, that's kind of what I do. Boy is just so it, a lot of times it's easier for me to do that that way. You. I know what you uh, before we get too far away from it, uh, we have Chris Dickey again as Tybalt. Uh, well said, my heart. Um, who's you just very angry Don't and be quiet or. Uh, more light, more light. I, I, I remember when we were casting this character, uh, we wanted someone who could very much be cat-like, because he's called the Prince of Cats later on in the play. And so I think Chris does a very good job of that. And also, uh, Randy Strew as Capulet there, he was very angry, very angry with him for uh, trying to disrupt his party. <laughs> Fame with my unworthiest hand, this oh. holy shrine. Romeo and Juliet, they finally met. They finally met, twin. My lips, <laughs> two blushing pilgrims, ready stand. I love the interaction between Eric and Olivia in this scene. It is just excellent. It is a, for lack of a better term, it's very pure. And that's definitely what we wanted for these two characters. From my lips, by yours, my sin is purged. Then half my lips, the sin that they have took. Sin from thy lips. So they meet at a dance oh, party. They do. They do indeed. Give me my sin again. So I almost put an ooh and an ah from the audience, but it did not. Madam, fit into the mix very well with, with the you. dance music. What, what is her mother? Mary Bachelor, uh, so I decided to opt in, go ahead and cut the oohs and ahs out and just go with the little laugh there at the end. I nursed her daughter that you talked with all. I tell you also, you tell uh, that the nurse is not jinx. really happy with that situation. No, no, she's, uh, she's being very much like a mother. And she kind of is like, uh, Juliet's mother in a way. Um, just because she helped raise her. So even though she doesn't have that blood relationship, she's got a uh, connection to her. She trusts her. Or Juliet trusts her, rather. I'm certain the nurse trusts Juliet as well. Ah, uh, yes, and uh, Romeo just realized that uh, Juliet is a Capulet. He should have known better, though. He's at a Capulet party. More torches here! Come on, then, let's to bed. Oh, sir, <laughs> my fay, it waxes late. I'll to my rest. Come hither, nurse. What is young gentleman? The son and heir of old Tiberius. I love the song. What's he that is now going out of door? Marry that, I think, be young Petruchio. What's he that follows there? That would dance? I know not. <laughs> his name. If he be married, my grave is like to be my wedding bed. 
His name is Romeo, and the Montague. The only son of your great enemy. <laughs> my only love sprung from my only hate. I love that. The record scratch. Early seen unknown, and known too late. Prodigious breath of love it is to me. But I must love a loathed enemy. What's this? What's this? The, uh, the in the script, the DJ was actually not supposed to wind down his set there. Anon, anon. Uh, but Come, let's away. when I was mixing it, I was trying to find a good place to do it. And that line where the nurse drops that bombshell uh, felt perfect mm -hmm. to do it at. Almost like it was planned. <laughs> what? We're at the credits already? Yes, we are. It's the Pendant Shakespeare. This is, uh, I haven't Bill heard these yet. <laughs> yes. And Juliet, uh, this song is uh, So Icon. Far So Good by Jonathan Colton. Featuring the voice talents of uh, which you can hear him singing Romeo, all the way through the whole thing. And, uh, ben Volio, I, I just like the idea the of um, him saying that this, this play was so far so good. Olivia Steele as Juliet. Eric Valdez as Do you the hear the actors in this? Or, or did we end up Rachel not doing Wallace that? Oh, uh, that's actually coming in Act Five. So, uh, oh, yeah. we'll save we'll save the uh, we'll save that for later and not tell everyone what that is. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just keep tuning into the play, everyone. Uh, we have a nice surprise for you in Act Five. And we'll get to hear Mercutio say coachmakers at some point. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Act 2 is pretty much all about Romeo and Juliet and all about Mercutio. So it'll be good. It'll be good. That was me. It was... Twas indeed. Whew! Man, I didn't want this episode to end, but here we are. And so tune in next month, and we'll be back with Act 2, and we'll get to do it all over again. Uh, follow us on Twitter at The Wild Bill Show. And yeah, that's all I have to say. Swan, do you have anything to add? Tune in next time. Tune in next time to hear what yonder light, what, whatever that line is. <laughs> what light through yonder window breaks? It is audio drama. <laughs> Delivered by the great Eric Valdez. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, we will catch up with you folks later. Bye. Peace. <laughs>